Welcome to the Hope for the Animals podcast, sponsored by United Poultry Concerns. I'm your host, Hope Bohannock, and you can find lots of information about our podcast at our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and you can reach me at my email, hope at upc-online.org. Okay, so today on the podcast, we're going to have our second installment in our Micro Sanctuary series. And in this series, I'm going to feature a different Micro Sanctuary each month this summer. And last month, we had Tracy Glover from Sweet Peeps Sanctuary. And today, I'm going to have a conversation with Justin Van Cleek, who co-founded the Micro Sanctuary Movement. So we're going to dig deep into the concepts around micro sanctuaries. And next month, I have an interview with Gwendolyn Church, who has started a fish rescue and sanctuary called Friends of Philip Fish Rescue. So that's going to be really interesting. And it's just part of this very exciting new trend of smaller scale animal rescue that we are exploring with this micro sanctuary series. But first I have a few announcements. So this is kind of a continuation of this month being our one year anniversary of this podcast. We started this podcast in May of 2020 and we now have over 40 episodes, 30 regular episodes about at this point and 10 shows that were bonus shows in the Reason for Vegan series. So we now have enough content that I was able to make categories in a drop down menu on the website. So if you are new to the podcast or if you've missed a few, you can go to our website, hopefortheanimalspodcast.org, and click on episodes in the top menu and you can choose a category. It's going to have a drop down menu with categories, episodes with categories that you might be interested in and I have several shows in each category. So the categories are the Reason for Vegan series, which is a 10-part series that is kind of a vegan starter, vegan basics series breaking down the issues by species, but there's also one on the humane hoax and another one on goat dairy, so some really interesting stuff in there. I made the Reason for Vegan series not only for new and pre-vegans to get the basics, but also for longer time vegans to have all the information you need to maybe give a presentation or to talk about it with your friends, talk comprehensively and knowledgeably with your friends. We need to be continuously educating ourselves. So please take advantage of this Reason for Vegan series. And some of the other categories that I have, uh, we've, I've got a category focused on chickens, fishes, the environment for shows that had an environmental angle, also one on spirituality when I had guests that were uh, talking about spirituality and veganism, and a final category of anti-oppression and intersectionality focused episodes. And once the Micro Sanctuary series is complete, I will add that one as well as a category. I hope that it is a great way for people to find episodes. It's maybe something that you are interested in or you want to learn more about. 
I'm, I'm just so excited now that we have all this content to share. And I hope that if, if, if you haven't heard all the episodes, that you'll take advantage of this and go to the website and dig in to some of the past episodes. And you can find them more easily now with the new categorization drop down menu. I'm very proud. <laughs> okay. So the other announcement that I have before getting into our interview with Justin is that I want to give another reminder, another shout out about our upcoming Humane Hoax Chicken webinar. It's coming up on Saturday, May 29th. And if you're listening to this after that date, we are going to video record all the speakers and the videos of the conference will be available at the same place that you can go and register if it's before May 29th, which is humanehoax.org humanehoax.org. And I will, of course, put that in the show notes. This webinar is sponsored by United Poultry Concerns and the Triangle Chicken Advocates, which is Justin's sanctuary, our guest, Justin. Justin and I have started the Humane Hoax Project with resources and information on the Humane Hoax. And we have our online summit each year. And as well, we have this chicken webinar. And this year, we have some fantastic speakers. Of course, we'll be having UPC's Karen Davis again. We also have Dr. Tushar Mehta, who is a data-driven researcher and emergency medical doctor, and he will be breaking down the dangers to the planet and to our health from eating chicken's flesh and eggs. We also have Rachel McChrystal from Woodstock Sanctuary joining us. And Woodstock Sanctuary is up in New York, and they gave surveys out to people coming to visit the sanctuary. And they found that many people, even if they had given up other animal products, were still consuming eggs. So they decided to have a targeted campaign against eggs. So we're going to hear more about that and about the chickens at their sanctuary. And finally, we'll have a couple of micro sanctuary folks who will be uh, on our ending panel exploring the subject chickens on the couch dismantling who is a companion animal so we're going to get to hear about house chickens and caring for special needs chickens and all kinds of great stuff so if it's before may 29th as you are hearing this please go and register for this awesome free event and if it's after may 29th 2021 you can still go to the humanehoax.org it's just humanehoax.org no the humanehoax.org and watch the videos. Okay, so we're now going to move into Justin's interview and I'll just give a reminder that this is part of our micro sanctuary series. I, I had the idea to do this to feature a few micro sanctuaries and kind of dig into the issue after friending several micro sanctuaries on Facebook and just really enjoying the stories, seeing the chickens in people's houses and in the kitchen and on the couch. And it's just endearing and, and really cool to show how chickens can live with us, just like more traditional companion animals or dogs and cats. And as Justin will point out, there's so much more to it. Also, I just want to say that this interview was not the best audio quality. Justin recorded it outside and the volume's kind of low. You might hear some extra noises and dogs barking and birds chirping, but, but hey, we're animal lovers, so hopefully it's not too distracting. 
Okay, so let's bring in Justin Van Cleek and hear all about microsanctuaries. So today we have Justin Van Cleek. Justin has a PhD in English and is a freelance writer, educator, and community organizer. Justin goes by the pronouns they, them, and Justin founded the Triangle Chicken Advocate Sanctuary, and that work inspired them to start the micro-sanctuary movement with their partner, Roz, and that's what we want to focus on today, continuing our micro-sanctuary movement uh, series or micro sanctuary series. Justin is also the core co-organizer and co-host of the Humane Hoax Chicken webinar coming up on May 29th. And we're very excited about that to bring our second annual chicken webinar to everyone. And so let's bring Justin in. Hi, Justin. Hey, Hope. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? How are the how are the birds? Good, good. It's a lovely day outside. So everybody's outside enjoying the sunshine and the nice weather. Good. Wonderful. Well, you've been on the show before and I'll actually put a link to Justin's other episode in the show notes if you want to hear more Justin. And last time we talked about the Humane Hoax and our Humane Hoax project that we started together and rescuing roosters and some other great stuff. And last time you, in the beginning, told us also your history of why and how you went vegan. So mm -hmm. instead of repeating that this time, just to get us started, I'm going to ask you three kind of get to know you questions. Okay. You ready? Icebreakers. Love them. Yeah. <laughs> no, not really, but let's do it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, we want to know. These are burning questions that we, we yeah. want to know about you. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> so Justin, if you could be any animal, who uh -huh. would you be and why? Uh, yeah, no, actually I thought about this question a little bit. So I have two answers. One, the first one would be uh, a crow because uh -huh. I think crows are super, super metal and they're super intelligent and they have <laughs> amazing personalities. We have a family of crows who live at our sanctuary. They're just, they're, they're amazing. We love them to death. Wow. Um, so, and is, yeah. and isn't it called a murder of crows? Yeah, murder of crows. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and there's, there's like three of them. So I don't, it's not like a, a like a mass murder. It's not like a mass murder. <laughs> Not to make light of mass murder, but it's not a big group. It's just, it's just a small family that's lived here for a few years. Oh, um, so cool. And yeah, they're amazing. Like we love them. So, but other than crows, I mean, I'm a huge bird nerd and I've loved birds for many, many years. And I just, I, I find crows so fascinating. And other than that though, I think octop octopus uh, would ah, be my other answer because wow. uh, they are just, they're amazing on so many levels. And I think that the only thing that keeps cephalopods and octop octopodes specifically from uh, taking over the world is the fact that they don't live very long. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're, they're just fantastic. They're so amazing. So yeah, I think those would be my two answers. Wow. Fascinating. An octopus. Incredible. Well, I that that's um, very two unique animals that I've never thought of being. So I have to yeah. think about that. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on to question two. What is your favorite food? I think it'd have to be rice because I'm pretty bland. It just works well with everything. So rice. <laughs> it's okay. probably it's probably the probably the the food that we eat the most. Um we're pretty simple, simple folks. So yeah. I like I like simple things. So rice. White or brown? 
Um, I like both. We tend to eat more white just because it's a little bit quicker and easier. Sanctuary life is uh, time consuming, so we don't always have time to make like lots of complicated complicated things so white rice is the go-to usually but they're both good good. okay i have to say that was a pretty boring answer but (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually an extremely boring person okay well well (laughs) then let's see what happens with this next one tell Uh, us something about you that uh, most people don't know okay so this is the one thing that might contradict my previous statement i was very close to ordaining as a buddhist monk uh, wow. In the mid 2000s, after I finished graduate school, um, I was very, very into um, practicing traditional Buddhist meditation and studying traditional Buddhist scriptures and uh, uh, was looking at ordaining as a, as a bhikkhu at a monastery in West Virginia. There were a few issues with why I didn't decide to do that. And I don't, I don't really consider myself a Buddhist anymore. I'm just kind of like a, an atheist, but um, I very much a Buddhist flavored atheist. Um, (laughs) A lot of the teachings of Buddhism, I really take to heart and found both useful and insightful. Yeah. So I came pretty close, but I decided against it. Wow. Okay. Well, that is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Well, I certainly feel like I know you a little better. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, so the last time you were on you also told us about how you started your sanctuary or a bit about that, uh, Triangle Chicken Advocates. And and just a side note, Triangle is the area that you're in in North Carolina. It's the Triangle uh, area, or I'm not sure yes. what it said, but yeah, just so people realize what that means and why it's called Triangle Chicken Advocates. Right. It's the yeah, location. Yeah. No, I always make the joke. It's not just because we, it's not because we love geometry. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> a geographical reference. And we, it, it, the name is actually relevant because we really focus and from the beginning have focused on helping local animals. So we don't do things like bring animals from other places in the country to our area and stuff like that. Like we, we really have focused like uh, animals at local shelters and animals dumped in the woods, like in, you know, in our, in our area and stuff like that. It's, it really kind of speaks to our focus on meeting local needs. Okay. So, so we talked about the sanctuary last time and this time though, I want to hear more about micro sanctuaries and the micro sanctuary movement, because we're of course on the podcast doing a micro sanctuary series where we're featuring a few small sanctuaries through the summer. And I thought that it would be good to get it from the horse's mouth. Now, I wonder if this is a speciesist term. I, I was thinking about this because I, you know, you being the authority on the subject, I, I was like, oh, we can get it from the horse's mouth. And I thought, huh, I wonder where that comes from. So do you know if that's yeah. a speciesist term? I, yeah. I mean, I don't know, like, unless it's, <laughs> I don't think it's a weird reference to Mr. Ed, which uh, it's know, probably it's older like, than that. I, I would think. think. So. Yeah. I don't know. No, I don't know. I mean, I, the, you're not doing violence to the horse. So. Well, right. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a positive thing. It's um, like it's the horse is the authority. Yeah, no, that's the question. That is not a phrase I've looked into. It doesn't involve stones and, and beating and killing and stuff. No, so. right. Which they usually do when it's referred to animals. Right. Exactly. So maybe there's a listener out there who can do some research on that and let us know where that comes from and if that is a speciesist term or a positive term for animals. But anyway. <laughs> That aside, you did start the micro sanctuary movement. 
so what is the micro sanctuary movement? First, tell us a yeah. little about what it is and, uh, you know, and just uh, about this, um, this growing movement of small sanctuaries. Yeah. So, uh, when we started the micro sanctuary movement, um, it really grew out of our work starting Triangle Chicken Advocates. We felt very different than most of the sanctuaries that we knew in the vegan world because most of them existed on large farm properties and you know had had hundreds of animals and staff and stuff like that. And it, with, when we started TCA, uh, it was really just the two of us on our you know on our home property. Uh, rescuing chickens and, and a few other animals, you know, so we felt very different and we felt like we didn't have too many other examples of kind of what we were doing. So the micro sanctuary idea really kind of grew out of just a matter of like scale and us really taking on the labor of doing everything um, ourselves. But the more that we kind of put our thought into what it meant to be a micro sanctuary, we really started thinking about how sanctuary is not something that uh, can only look one way. We started thinking about what the actual word sanctuary means and what sanctuary is. And it's really about, you know, providing care and treating individuals with respect on, you know, on whatever scale. And so when we understood that sanctuary is really kind of a state of mind and, and an approach to, to interacting with and caring for uh, other beings in need, it really reshaped how we understood the sanctuary movement and how micro sanctuaries could fit into that kind of in relation to, to our, our veganism. The, the micro sanctuary model and the movement really is about vegans using what resources they have available to help animals in need. Um, and we really focus on animals who are exploited for profit and aren't really seen as um, you know, potential companions. So farmed animals who are used for food, of course, are like a big part of that. Um, but we've also kind of uh, broadened our, our scope to, to think about, you know, aquatic species who are really just kind of seen as, as never seen as individuals. Um, also, you know, invertebrates to some degree and, and, you know, animals used in like laboratory research and stuff like that who are just kind of typically treated as throwaways. So we want to try to really shine a spotlight on these individuals who are primarily treated as, as products and, you know, objects of exploitation in our society and to think about how we can offer sanctuary to them kind of at whatever scale we're capable of doing. Yeah. So, so how does the model or the concept of micro sanctuary work in practice? And I'm also curious if there's kind of a hard definition, like how many yeah. animals or how, how small do you have to be to be considered a micro sanctuary? And when yeah. you cross yeah. a certain threshold yeah. when when is there a time is there a place where you're no longer a micro sanctuary like what is right. the definition and yeah. how does how does it work in practice yeah no so this is actually a much harder question than um it probably should be well because when we started like we really felt uncomfortable putting hard definite like a hard definition on yeah, it yeah yeah um, and the reason is is because so much of it is about ethos Mm -hmm. Um, and just kind of like, you know, like your, your mentality towards 
how you approach doing like the rescue and caregiving and stuff like that. Um, and, and like, I don't like drawing like a clear hard line between like what's a sanctuary and what's a micro sanctuary because it's, it can be very blurry, you know, like a lot of places that consider themselves micro sanctuaries, um, you know, for example, Tracy Glover, who you had on with, with Sweet Peeps micro, micro sanctuary, yeah. you know, she has like a, you know, a small, but a comfortable property kind of out in the country that, you know, with uh, plenty of space for the chickens and, you know, she's not going to be like, uh, like a large sanctuary ever because it just wouldn't work on the, on that scale, but, you know, she's a micro sanctuary, but she looks kind of like, in like a rural property. Whereas we have micro sanctuaries who live in like apartments in Brooklyn, you know, mm-hmm. who consider themselves the micro sanctuaries. And so to me, that's a wonderful thing because it shows that like, you know, the model isn't tied to like a specific setup. It's more about how you approach the work. And it's really about like individual vegans who feel like they're committing themselves to like making the caregiving and the the sanctuary, like part of who they are and part of their lives. So it's not like they have a staff position, like at a, at a, like a sanctuary that they, you know, come into and may leave at some point. It's like, this is who, you know, who I am. Like, that's why that's very much about like the spirit of micro sanctuaries, part of what defines a micro sanctuary. But beyond that, a lot of the micro sanctuaries that I see happening now are really moving more and more towards like that, that micro scale. So, you know, like I mentioned, like one of our board members, uh, Rocky, she runs her micro sanctuary out of a place in Brooklyn where she lives. And, you know, like just like an apartment or something, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's not, it's like, yeah, something it's, I mean, it's not like a tiny apartment, but it's also not like a, you know, a house with three acres, which is right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I mean like, and to me, that's what's really wonderful about the micro sanctuary concept is, is because when a vegan is inspired by the spirit and the concept and the model of a micro sanctuary, they can apply it to where they are. Like it's, it's so much more accessible in my mind, because, you know, if like an individual vegan in an apartment says, oh my God, like I just, I'm in love with chickens. I want to rescue some chickens, you know, with the proper amount of like experience and stuff like that, like they can have two house hens, mm-hmm. you know, living with them in their apartment. And so, you know, it's really about trying to make it clear to vegans that like you can be a sanctuary without becoming a farm sanctuary. Yeah. Because so many people are learning about far, about farm sanctuaries and getting really excited, but they think that the only way they can do it is if they win the lottery or like, you know, their rich uncle dies or something like that. <laughs> right. um, and so it's a model that, that most people are never going to be able to get to um, mm-hmm. just because it requires so many resources up front to even get started. But also like it brings that, like that model is the only model brings with it a lot of problems that have traditionally kept people out of the sanctuary movement. And, and in particular, you know, vegans of color and people with uh, fewer resources who, you know, may wish to do the work that, that large sanctuaries are doing, but because of historical s- systems of oppression for humans may not have uh, access to, to do that just on a resource level. So your partner, Roz, I know, created this awesome resource on Facebook. It's a Facebook group called Vegans with Chickens. And I know that almost every microsanctuary person I've talked to or just anyone who is a caretaker of chickens loves this group. And And I think it's a really wonderful resource that you all created because I know that so much of the information out there about chicken care is often from the industry and like the medical advice and stuff is is really geared towards the best interest 
of the industry and not necessarily the individual chicken. So I right. think that's why you created this is to try to counter that, right? Tell us about the Facebook group Vegans with Chickens. Yeah. Um, so my partner, Roz, started Vegans with Chickens shortly after we rescued the first our first two hens who kind of really inspired us to start our, our micro sanctuary and to get into chickens. Vegans with Chickens is, is kind of the first Vegans with X group. Um, there are there are a number of others now, like vegans with fishes and vegans with rodents and, mm. uh, and uh -huh. so forth. Kind of for for people who are caregivers of, of uh, or are vegan and caregivers and would like to be able to, to kind of network with other caregivers um, outside of of um, groups that are going to be doing exploitative practices or talking about animals in exploitative ways. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's really kind of like a refuge for vegan chicken caregivers because the admin team works really hard to make sure that like it, it's a safe space for vegans and it's not like you know a place for people who are like still into like eating eggs or exploiting chickens but kind of want to learn you know, like get some other information on caregiving like it's it's meant to be a place for vegans who already get it yeah it's a it's a really important group um i think because the focus has always been the absolute best possible care for chickens and so that covers everything from like medical care to setup and predator proofing and, you know, and, and even like advocacy and stuff like that. And so um, it's been really transformative, I think, for helping the level of care given to chickens and the access to information about chicken care uh, spread around the world. I mean, there are members all over the world. I think the membership number is up at like 5,700, big group and very, very active. Yeah. And it's interesting because when we're talking about micro sanctuaries, it's mostly primarily we're talking about chickens and it's because they're, they're small. You can have them in small spaces, right? And yeah. we don't really think of, I mean, I guess you could have a micro sanctuary with cows or, you know, you can maybe have five cows, but it would be much harder to do that in an, a more urban setting yeah. of course you have to be able to be allowed to have the animals and so chickens are they're just kind of their their body size lends better to uh micro sanctuary and, and more urban settings so so yeah. that's kind of why the focus is on chickens yeah well yeah and well i mean chickens are amazing obviously so well that too that, of course that, <laughs> that part of it but no and chickens are also very flexible like they they do really well outside like in a safe area or environment that's set up for their their instinctual needs they're very very happy out there but they also you know are very very happy as, as house chickens i mean in the entire like almost, you know, seven and a half years now that we've been doing chicken rescue, I think we've met like a couple of chickens who absolutely hated being inside. <laughs> Everybody else is like, you bring them inside, they're like, oh, wow, hey, this is safe. I like this. And they're <laughs> nice. Like, yeah. You know, getting in your potted plants and like laying eggs <laughs> on your couch. And they're very flexible. They're, they're just so smart. And they're so like, they have such big personalities and they they do they do really well inside and that's actually one of the biggest myths that we encounter i mean there's so many around chickens but the fact that like they just they like they they cannot live indoors inside you know and, and it's absolute garbage chickens with in, in particular needs who who have to live indoors um well, yeah, and that's that's another focus, right, of micro sanctuaries is kind of giving that individual care for special needs animals, animals with disabilities. Uh, so, yeah, and 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 those animals often are inside for periods of time of of healing or just permanently, yeah. Yeah, um, and and 
you know, large sanctuaries, they deal with a lot of animals who have disabilities or other needs and can accommodate them with great care. So it's not something that like large sanctuaries can't accommodate individuals with uh, special needs. But I think like one of the things that micro sanctuaries are really good at is to be able to put in that intensive, like, like uh, care, both on a, like just a time and resource um, level, but also, you know, kind of on, on the particularities of what's needed in a particular situation. Like micro sanctuaries can be really good about that just because they're smaller. One of the things that we focus so much on is like really understanding like what the individual needs of every single resident is like i think that that it's a a great a great situation for for animals with particular like you know special care requirements animals develop a large number of, of disabilities from the the farming system and from exploitation whether it's like deliberate injury or maiming to um, like birth defects and problems with that. Like I think micro sanctuaries are a really great opportunity for not only for those individuals to get treatment, but also for those individuals to get seen and Mm. to have their stories told and to like to be put in context of uh, farming, but also like kind of how important it is that we see uh, disability with respect um, and we treat individuals who have special needs with the same sort of respect and, and, you know, care and love that we would treat anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also mm-hmm. micro sanctuaries for other types of animals like aquatic animals and invertebrates. We're, we're actually going to be featuring just a little preview of what's to come. A fish sanctuary, fish rescue and sanctuary will be on the podcast. I'm going to interview Gwendolyn Church of a fish rescue. Uh, They'll be on the podcast soon. So can you talk a little about this? It's it's just an interesting new development kind of. Yeah, no, it's actually like these are one of the things that like when we started the micro sanctuary movement in 2014, it wasn't part of the plan, <laughs> but I love it. I love it because like the same, yeah. the micro sanctuary movement is really being dynamic and forming like, as I think the vegan movement expands its understanding and its vision and it's like, it's practice, you know? Yeah. And so, no, I'm, I'm super thrilled. Like, like I, one of the most exciting things for, for me is to see micro sanctuaries starting up that do like aquatic species and, and things like that. Because like when you really recognize just the sheer devastating amount of individual harm that is done by the fishing industry and to aquatic animals by humans um, for, for profit, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. And Hope, I know you know this, you do a ton of work on fishes, which I'm, I'm grateful for. And I, mm. I think is amazing. And so I'm super thrilled that micro sanctuaries are starting up that that do aquatic species. Being able to to talk about fishes and other aquatic species in individualized ways, the same way that we would talk about a chicken or talk about a dog or a cat, like I think that's fantastic. I'm yeah. so excited about that. Yeah, um, that's what we need to be doing. It's not sentimental to think about in, in animals as individuals who have needs and and you know deserve respect. That's the basis of what veganism ought to be. And so, no, I I think it's wonderful. And and just like on a, on a broader philosophical level too, I tend to find a lot of the, the conversation about um, animal liberation and, and and collective liberation kind of too abstract and and kind of uh, cold sometimes. Like it's a, it's a it's an idea bereft of vision. And I think that like, you know, we, unless we start to ground our discussions about liberation 
in the experiences and interests of individuals, we're never going to get there because we don't have something to look forward to. We don't have something to work towards. I mean, I think there's so much work to be done in stopping exploitation that, you know, we can keep ourselves very busy just trying to stop exploitation. But I think we also need to be having the conversation of what the vision of hope is and what our liberation is going to look like. And I think like one of the ways that we can start to get there is to start to see how micro sanctuaries and sanctuaries are giving us opportunities to, to have that vision of what liberation looks like. And I think, you know, there's a good opportunity to frame micro sanctuaries as vegan activism and as liberation in process, because, you know, we're not breaking down the system by rec re rescuing a few chickens. But what we're starting to do is we're starting to really um, undermine the speciesist assumptions that people have about these individuals. And the more that we can show them as individuals with rights and interests and deserving of respect, like it starts to chip away at that, that speciesist notion that these are nothing but, you know, but throwaway commodities. Liberation is bereft of vision if it doesn't ground the conversation in the lived experiences of survivors of these exploitative systems. Yeah. And, and also social media is such an important part of this. It's how we're able to get these stories out, these uh, animal stories out. And, and it's really what prompted me to want to do this series because I have friended now a bunch of mm -hmm. micro sanctuaries on Facebook. And I just love hearing and seeing the animals, I love hearing their stories and hearing whatever they're doing that day and what little treat they liked. And it's just so uh, connecting, you know, you're connecting to these right. animals on an individual level. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, social media is a very powerful tool for um, doing that work. And also, I think for, for piquing interest of people who might want to like participate in, in rescue and caregiving activism. Yeah. So. And I think like one of the things that's most powerful about micro sanctuaries in particular with that is, is normalizing these individuals, like just living their lives with us. Like, I, like I'm always, I'm always amazed at how chickens show up in, in photos and videos where it's like, you know, you would typically see like a cat or dog doing this stuff and like a way yeah. to chicken. Yeah. You know, Sitting on the computer keys exactly. or, no. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, my, my favorite ones are, are the ones who are not like, let's pose a photo of this cow, like on the, in the field or like this chicken, like, you know, in a nesting box or something like that. Like it's the ones where like, we're living our day-to-day -day life. And here's like a snap of like the chicken uh, sitting in my lap while I'm working at the computer. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, chicken, like stealing my cereal or stuff like that. Right. Like, we're living our lives together. And like, this is like, you know, this is normal. Right. Um, yeah. And then, you know, just a, re um, a reminder and a plug for our chicken webinar coming up. The panel for our chicken webinar is dismantling who is a companion animal chickens on the couch, basically chickens in the house, chickens, mm -hmm. uh, all around. Um, and it, it is, it's, it's showing that they can live with us as family, just as dogs and cats. Uh, there's no difference. Yeah. It's, it's hard because the need is so great for these animals to, to have a safe place to live out their lives. And so I know that not every single, single animal everywhere at every sanctuary can, you know, 
can like live a life on the couch basically and get the kind of that intensity of care. And so it's a, it's a great opportunity for micro sanctuaries who may not be able to like, you know, manage the, the, like the immense resources involved with running a large sanctuary to, to put in the, the time and effort to do that like amount of, of, um, one-on-one -on -one, like personal care and interaction with like their the animals that they they do have the ability to care for so i think that both are needed like i think large sanctuaries are are crucial and i and i i'm so grateful that they exist and that they've you know been able to do the the work that they've done for decades and yeah uh, that that's that's one question i had is yeah. traditional large sanctuaries how how do they complement each other, like micro sanctuaries and traditional large sanctuaries, how can they work together? What what is the connection and, and relationship there? So yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, no, I think that's a really intriguing question. And it's not one that I've mapped out fully. To me, I think that the micro sanctuaries and sanctuaries really complement each other because I think they have different strengths. Large sanctuaries, you know, are able to have a group of people like on staff and interns and volunteers and, and, you know, like the administration and stuff like that to kind of make a large organization run that does a combination of things like advocacy and marketing and education along with like the hand, get your hands dirty work of caregiving. Mm. Um, and so it's the great, you know, it's a nice place for, for to be able to, to accommodate a large number of animals while also doing these other tasks that kind of coincide with just the basic work of caregiving from day to day. Whereas with micro sanctuaries, like I think like one, it's it's much more, it allows opportunities for access for people who want to do it and have, you know, the the energy and the resources to do so, but also like to provide that that really like individualized um, kind of care and sharing of stories and, and sharing of lives. And in many situations, like micro sanctuaries are able to to take in animals who otherwise might not find a space at, at a larger sanctuary for whatever reason. And like one of my favorite focuses of micro sanctuaries, a lot of people are really interested in doing rooster micro sanctuaries. And, you know, most large farm sanctuaries only have a few roosters who live on the property because they have very special needs sometimes. And so with micro sanctuaries, like we're able to help pick up some of the, the need for, for rooster homes. Hmm. And so along with that, like I've seen a huge growth in the number, uh, in the, in the types of, uh, of advocacy being done for roosters, largely being driven by these uh, micro sanctuaries that, that focus on roosters. Um, and so, you know, like, I think those are the sorts of things that micro sanctuaries can do well is to see needs that maybe aren't being met or aren't being met enough and to be able to provide care for those animals in need while also like providing a lot of energy for activism and advocacy. Yeah, I also wanted to ask you about this new concept of animal-centered design in sanctuary work. We talked to Karen Davis of United Poultry Concerns on the last podcast, and we talked about the aviary at the United Poultry Concerns Sanctuary that is this huge covering that is predator protection that goes above the trees. And so the chickens can actually roost in the trees at night and sleep yeah. in the trees, which is natural for them. So it's there's, there's this new concept of animal-centered design because most of our sanctuaries 
our farm property. I mean, that's just kind of naturally how it has yeah. come to be that, you know, there's this already set up rural property that was maybe a dairy farm or whatever uh, that has been now transformed into a sanctuary. But farms were not built for <laughs> the, the, the comfort and needs of animals. <laughs> they were built to commodify animals. Uh, so there's this new concept of trying to create sanctuaries and build or create around the animal's individual needs. And mm -hmm. I know that I haven't been there, but I, but I see the images of your sanctuary and how there's so much uh, greenery and bushes and uh, so much more life. It's not just grassy pasture. Right. And I've since learned that chickens actually can feel uncomfortable in large pasture or large field because they're exposed to predators. A hawk could come down and, you know, that they prefer covering and to be more in bushy and secluded areas. So so yeah, so anyway, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on this new concept of kind of creating sanctuary that's more in line with their natural needs. Yeah, no, I, that's a, it's a really exciting um, part of the sanctuary movement right now. And I'm so glad that it's starting to get more attention. So, so we took a lot of our inspiration for just kind of how we approached our, our micro sanctuary when we started from uh, chicken run rescue, they were uh living in in downtown or not downtown but like living in in um minneapolis and this uh, is a mary Britton klaus right yeah yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. so they were you know in that that space in the city um you know she had tried to create like a type like almost like a jungle for her chickens and so it was mm -hmm. really lovely to see like a garden set Cause up that's because that is their natural ancestry exactly. is from the uh jungle fowl of of uh southeast asia and yeah exactly Exactly. And so, um, you know, we were also already interested in things like edible forest gardening and permaculture and stuff like that. And so, you know, we had three acres of woods and grass that we um, that we moved into in North Carolina in um, late 2013. So we started to think about because we weren't inheriting a farm and we weren't inheriting even the concept of being a farm, like we weren't tied to the notions of like, well, this is kind of what a farm looks like. So let's put some animals on it. it not having to, not starting from that place, I think allowed us to see what the sanctuary could look like in a different way. And so because we knew that we were doing, focusing on chickens and we wanted to create a, a space that, that was more in line with their, their ancestry and their instincts, we created the, you know, basically like an edible forest garden type mm -hmm. of model. So it's very forested, like with lots of cover of trees and bushes and, and stuff like that, um, as well as like more traditional predator proofing things like fences and aviary netting. Um, we don't skimp on that at all either. Uh, yeah, I think animal centered design is really exciting because it does start from that place of what are the instinctual needs of the animals. And to me, it was a really kind of a light bulb moment when I figured out that chickens like put on pasture like the only reason that they that farmers do that and uh is because the they're, they're really making pasture for grazing animals which are the big money animals right so the chickens are just kind of there to you know to, to run around um and so that means that those situations aren't geared for the well-being of chickens like they're not they're you know they're primarily there for grazing animals I think like any opportunity we can take to analyze and think more about what it means to, you know, inheriting in a lot of cases, farm properties, 
uh, I think is really important because some conversations that have come up recently that I think are, are really insightful is ways in which operating on former farm properties and looking like farms as a sanctuary can maybe sometimes give mixed messaging mm. in terms of like what people think about when they think about farms that harm animals look like because farmers are very good at like putting up propaganda that that makes it look like the animals all have the best lives possible on their farms and sometimes it can like you know hard to distinguish a a so-called humane farm from a from a sanctuary and so i i think that's a really interesting line of thought to take i haven't like you know formed any full opinions on it but I do think a lot of times just running with a farm model when operating a sanctuary can create less than opportune uh, living situations for particular animals and, and chickens are a good example of that. So yeah, we, I don't think we have any like wide open spaces like on our, on our entire property at this point, you know, they're all, it's all wow. pretty much like patches of, of open like area surrounded by trees and bushes and stuff. So yeah, and the chickens spend most of their time, like, you know, underneath all that stuff. So Right. Just observing what, what they want, what they like and changing the space accordingly. Yeah. 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 I mean, when we first started, like one of the biggest issues we had um, was we had very little shade in the chicken living areas. And so like dealing with the North Carolina heat and then the summer was horrible hmm. and the chickens just kind of found like any like patch of shade that they could to hide under. And it was like, I was like, oh, <laughs> they obviously <laughs> don't really like being out in the wide open. Pasture, yeah. No, they just, they, they just don't. Um, yeah. And so yeah. like we noticed as we kept adding like more areas of like cover with mm. trees and bushes and stuff like that's where they spent all their time. And it's just sort of like, oh, well, obviously you all don't like the wide open space. So why would we just force you to live on the wide open space because you don't like it, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's what we're seeing in commercials for like free range chickens. We just see them out in a grass pasture, yeah. but that oh, isn't what they want. It's no, not. What, it's not. No, people yeah. love it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like dude, dude, your chickens hate that. Yeah. Like, they don't want to live out on a, you know, bleeping pasture. Like yeah. they don't. <laughs> <laughs> so you yeah, know i mean it's yeah. like it, it, it's one of those instances and it's it's a minor one but it's very illustrative to me of like how clueless we are uh, that like like pasture eggs and pasture chickens are not fun for chickens yeah like they don't like it but like you know consumers see that and like oh my god they're out running around in the grassy field that's yeah. so amazing yeah. and it's like no it's well they, well and and it's like they're out of the cages so yeah. Yeah, that's better no, but if, if, if your other option from a cage is a pasture like you're still doing it very wrong yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh it really shows you how disconnected we are from the animals that our society uses as food yeah like and that's by design of the food system yeah. you know like the food system doesn't want us to know these these animals as individuals. Right. Right. Because that might might make us feel a little weird. Yeah. You know? And so like it's a it's not just the fault of people being ignorant. It's really it like shows you how this capitalist system of commodification and, and exploitation is designed to keep people disconnected from the individuals who provide their food, whether mm -hmm. that's chickens in a shed. Or it's migrant farm workers who are, are treated like commodities on, mm. in, on, on, in fields. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the food system is so messed up and it is harmful to humans and it's harmful to non-humans. And the way that it works is by keep, keeping up that barrier between us and where our food comes from so that we, don't, what's going on. Yeah. we don't try to get active about it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. 
Well, Justin, it's it's been a really amazing conversation. I've enjoyed it very much and learned a lot. Do you have any final thoughts about micro sanctuaries or anything? Yeah, no, I'm just really grateful for you taking the time to to do this series. There's a lot of conversation about about sanctuaries right now, and I think there's a lot of interest just growing more and more. I'm excited for for micro sanctuaries to be to get more attention, just because you know I think that people who are interested in providing care and having relation direct relationships with with rescued animals are a great thing. And you know we really want people to be able to to do it on a scale that's sustainable. And also to keep focused on, you know, learning and providing the best possible care to these individuals. And so I'm, I'm grateful for your taking the time to talk with us about it. Well, thank you, Justin, so much for your work, for uh, all that you do, all the amazing work you've done creating the concepts around this micro sanctuary movement. It's really exciting. And I think the future of it is just uh, uh, really, really hopeful. So thank you for the work you've done. Thank you, Hope. Thank you for listening to the Hope for the Animals podcast. Be sure to register for our Humane Hoax Chicken webinar on May 29th by going to humanehoax.org. And the videos of each of the speakers will be there after May 29th, so you can check those out if you're hearing this after that date. Please do join us. I would love to see you there. And also, do us a favor and give us a good rating and maybe write a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That would be wonderful. We can then get this information out to more listeners. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your support for a full year now. And I'm so excited to have you come along for the journey into our second year of podcasting. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you want to hear. You can reach me at my email, hope at upc-online.org. And as I always encourage here at the end of our time together, please live vegan.